This is a James Venable original, James? That is. That's, uh, whoa, sorry. That was the other one. The other, the B option. We'll, we'll save that for another one. Um, yeah, that was actually an exercise. My, I had this amazing, I, yes, I had this amazing composition teacher named Lyle Spud Murphy who gave me a lot of- Your mentor. Yes. Wow, good memory, Chad. I didn't even know I'd shared that with you. Um, well, welcome to Stand Up and Clown the Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chad Damiani, and you've heard his voice, uh, my technical and musical director, not a co-host, James Venable. Welcome, officially. Hello, hello. Happy to be here. Can't wait to hear what you both have to say. I'm going to introduce our guests in just a second, but once again, a reminder, this show is inspired by a live show called Stand Up and Clown that Jim and I run, where we bring stand-up comics uh, to the Elysian Theater, and we introduce them to clown on stage in front of a live audience um, this allows us not only to just have fun with a truly naive performers who uh, make the best clowns often because they don't know what they're doing, but we get introduced to a new audience and Jim and I thought it might be fun to have an even broader um, agenda and create a podcast. So anyone listening anywhere maybe could learn about clown or what we do because even clowns themselves are often confused <laughs> on what on what this art form is. Um this is a podcast about clowning, not a clowning podcast. We have no obligation to be funny, do bits, characters. Uh, we are taking a deep dive into the work. And I'm very excited to have our guest joining us. Um, I got to work with her remotely uh, during the pandemic and had a blast and also have really enjoyed her work uh, in Atomic Saloon, which is a Spiegel World show at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Um, without further ado, uh, Petra Massey, welcome to the podcast. Thank Oh, hello. Oh, I caught you. Uh, I wasn't looking because I was like really trying to do it, but you were putting on lip balm. When I yeah, was... I'm, it's lip gloss, so it oh. makes me sound more mefluent. Oh, mefluent. Interesting. Yeah. Is that the right word? I don't even know what Mellifluous? Oh, that's it. Mellifluous. How'd you say it? Uh, mellifluous. Mellifluous. <laughs> well, I can barely say broadcast, so I think we're even right from the start. Uh, Jim, put a beep in. Could you fix both how we said those two words? Just put a beep. That's not okay. Just the beep, please. Thank you. Um, wow. Uh, Petra, before we start, I I have been failing to do this. Um, just so you know how this podcast will end is after we have this discussion about the work, I'm going to ask you, what is clown? And if you can give an answer that is so comprehensive that anyone can understand this work, the podcast will be over. We will never record another podcast because oh, what's gosh. the point? So yeah. by the way, I we really are challenging. We want you to tr do your best. Um, okay. Jim and I are on each other's last nerve. So if this was the last one, so be it. Okay, cool. Excellent. I get to end your career. <laughs> well, many people have tried and many people have succeeded. So oh, okay. you might be joining a long list of people who've uh, ruined other ventures for me. And um, I think I'm pretty sure my career has already ended, so I don't know. If <laughs> okay, so you feel pretty comfortable. Damage Jim. to be done. <laughs> I want to start. There's so much to discuss with you, but first and foremost, I would love to talk to you about Spy Monkey a little bit. Um, yes. Um, because uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong. You all have been around since the late '90s, as a. Huh? As a yeah, that sounds so old, but yes, I guess we have. A quarter century, I, I believe. 1998 we started. 
We My did. Goodness. Yeah, I know. And could you tell the people, because a lot of the listeners um, of this podcast are people from like areas where there isn't a ton of clown. They're very interested in clown or they're trying to start their own clown scenes. Could you, how would you describe Spy Monkey uh, to like a person who'd never heard of it? Um, I would describe Spy Monkey as laugh out loud, piss your pants, funny. I would also describe some of our shows and, and how we are, um, like we do also kind of very moving pieces. So you, with the laughter, there can be some very touching moments as well. And vulnerability, because that's so much about what the clown is. And just four people that you would never expect to be together in one room, a German, a Spanish, and two Brits. And we all look very, very odd together. It's a very odd combination. And then we play a lot with the languages of French and German and Spanish as well. Yeah. Do you feel there is a method like, because you all are so different, do you feel there is like a Venn diagram of like, and maybe you said it in terms of the idea of like being as funny as possible, but also having heart and like, like real drama. But what are the, what are the things that this makes a show a spy monkey production. Like this is what we do, even though we're all so different in our approaches. Uh, I think what's the Venn diagram, what's what's common, the common factor with all four of us and what we've learned along the way is celebrating our ridiculousness and not being afraid to show our humanity and our vulnerability in getting mostly everything wrong all the time. We try, I think all of us wanted to be actors. They, you know, I know Itor did, I did. I think Toby did. Stefan, I'm maybe not so sure. Um, but we all wanted to be taken seriously as actors and that never happened. And so it was a natural thing for us to become clowns really because there's just no one took us seriously. You know, it's so funny. Um, your name came up just the kind of like this big picture of being taken seriously and like putting your best out there. But Jim and I did a show um, from this broadcast just a few days ago, um, which is one of these um, live direct formats that we do. And essentially I play like the clown boss and I'm the bully mm-hmm. and the clowns, you know, before the show, I instruct them very much. It's like, you have to do your best. I was like, your job isn't to try to like make me look bad. Your job isn't to rebel. Your job is to do your best and in doing your best. Trust me, you will fail because you're clowns. And we had a situation where a bunch of the clowns in the show, and it was like a show with some fun moments, but a lot of it was challenging because they really had turned the audience off because they were so focused on like their own pleasure that they the the audience sort of felt like they were being taken advantage of. And so after the show, we were having this long conversation with a couple of the clowns and your name came up. Uh, So uh, Petra came down and uh, guest directed something called play space, which is this uh, it's a clown jam where Mm -hmm. clowns show up and they get often like two minutes, one minute to go on stage and try to make something happen. And sometimes they I've done it. But Petra came in to sort of lend her eye and stuff and, and and give advice. And one of the clowns had said that you'd had a moment in in this uh, play space where you had someone on stage that just was doing interesting work, but kept push. Like they didn't understand that gen- that that feeling that has to exist between an audience and a performer, where the performer can't push to the point where the audience feels unseen, unheard, or underappreciated. 
Um, I don't know if you remember this moment. Yeah, I do. I do remember it. Um, and in, in answer to, to that whole thing, really, it's great to have pleasure. But if it's self-indulgent and if it's just for yourself and you're not giving that pleasure out to the audience, then there's no connection and the audience feel left out. You're, you're pleasing. You're, you're pleasing the audience. Yes, you've got to have pleasure for yourself, but it's got to be for the audience. You're like a child. You're always playing for the audience. That's why we always say, look to the audience, look to the audience. So if you're having the whale of a time and you're finding yourself funny, where does the audience fit in in that? Yeah. Um, that would be my answer to the first part of it. And what was the second part you were talking about? Well, what uh, you, I was going to say is I want to know if you remember because this uh, this uh, clown had said that you had spoken to this, like, this person who had gotten laughs, but you were basically like, boy, you're a lot of fun, but, you know, if I had, like, if we were in a situation where we were working together, I would have to tell you to like, basically stand down. Like you have to know when to stop. Right. Like you have to know. And I think it kind of addresses your first point, which is it's the moment that it's no longer for anyone but yourself. Yeah. I mean, usually if they're getting laughs, I would say you repeat, you repeat whatever you were getting a laugh for and you go to that person in the room that was getting the laugh. And then you go to the next person. That's, and if you're not getting laughs, then you back off, you back away. I can't remember exactly what this person was doing and why I, I would say that. But in general, that would be the advice that I, I would give. But there, I do think there's a difference between a belly laugh and just a laugh. And I'm always trying to get the belly laugh, which yeah. is usually the point where the audience are laughing and they don't know why they're laughing. They just don't know why, but they're laughing. And that usually is the best quality of laughter that you can ever get. I think, you know, in terms of teaching clown and, you know, by the way, if you're listening to Los Angeles, I, my understanding was you're going to try to come back, correct? And maybe oh, do some yes. teaching. I would love to, but they haven't contacted me yet. Uh, Hurry well, up. I will, uh, I will make sure we'll talk offline, yeah. but, uh, cause, um, it would be amazing to have you down here. Um, because I do think you, you do so many things that I appreciate. Um, um, in uh, Atomic Saloon, the show you're in now, um, like your character, like every night, it's like you are 120% into this character. And like in these moments that you were talking about, there are acting moments in the show mm -hmm. and you are like doing your best, <laughs> well, right. this is coming. but like, there is a certain Petra quality to your acting. Mm -hmm. Um, I say this with love. Yes. Like it's also, you are a clown, like you are doing your best and you are in it, but there's something that just makes you smile because it's like, we know you're doing your best. Yeah. And there's still this clown element, this sort of, you can't help it. You know what I mean? You can't help but have joy underneath everything. Well, Boozy, it's been a really interesting venture because Boozy is the first time in 25, 30 years where I haven't got my compadres with Spy Monkey with me. And in effect, I'm playing the straight person or part straight person in the show. I'm, I'm responsible for the, you, you know, the energy, you know, when I'm, I'm keeping the show alive and keeping it going. And I'm, I'm the lead character in it. I'm the pivotal role in it. One of the pivotal roles. And that at the beginning, that was hard because I would, I, my, my role always as a clown is to want to be the star of the show. 
but I could never be the star of the show because I was too much of an idiot within the clown, within the spy monkey clown framework. Toby's always the lead and always the straight man in the show. And suddenly I was pushed in this position. Well, willingly, choice, my choice was to, to do this. And I thought, oh, gosh, okay, where do I go from here? So it's been a long journey. And um, at the beginning, I was way too aggressive. And I didn't give space uh, to the role. And actually, I didn't need to be dominant because already my role was dominant. I was already high status. You know, I was the highest status you can. But the funny thing was to be high status, but come in low status. So you're at my status is 10 with the role that I'm playing. But my ridiculousness is, you know, probably at around two or three. So it's playing those those two statuses that I come in really high status. I should be, you know, I am the madam of the atomic saloon, but I'm obviously a total idiot. So it's it's that that kind of play uh, with status and that I relaxed a lot more and I owned it. I started to own it, but it took a long time. It didn't come first off. And even though I'm doing, you know, then I was doing 10 shows a week. Um, it took a really long time to, for me to gain confidence with being on my own and not being with Spy Monkey and realising, you know, that it's a different, a very, very different dynamic. Did you feel that there was a part of you because you had played, I mean, I guess I always call that kind of like the middle child energy for me, you know, like when I'm playing with clowns, which is like, I'm I'm not the oldest, but I should, I, sh I am the responsible, like, like this idea of like, did you feel you had to compensate because you didn't believe that you were perceived as high status by the audience? Um, like, what, what do you think you had to shift to create that space? Um, I think it was a battle of confidence. If I'm really honest, I felt very vulnerable and I didn't, I didn't completely believe that I could take on this role, which was the starring role. And um, I felt like I'd bitten off more than I could chew at the very beginning. Um, I, I knew in my heart of hearts I could do it, but it was suddenly being thrust into a situation where for 25 years I've worked with three other guys who have made me funny and in turn I've made them funny. And it was just working out what the dynamic was of me also I had a preacher to play with and suddenly I was working with someone very very different um still clown and still funny but still very different to what I, I was in a double act um so I I think I think the thing that shifted it was for me was doing it over and over and over again and repeating repeating and then finding my way in some ways it's a gift that you can just keep repeating and also keeping it fresh by ways delivering the same script but giving different intent and different emotion and uh always playing with the the language within the language i suppose um so that it would always stay fresh and i always sort of have games with my preacher you know i me and eli at the moment we have certain things that we sounds that we have to make without the audience knowing um, or we have to go in there as a, as an animal, but the audience will are not allowed to know that we're doing it with a bit of an animal intent. Oh, this is like your secret. Like you have a yes. secret that you have to keep this playfulness with uh, Eli yes. Weinberg, who's your partner. Yeah. That's oh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. Yeah. And is that something you? Because that's not a game necessarily that uh, I've heard very much out here in LA. Is that something you picked up from 
just basic theater games, like doing plays or like what, what kind of prompted that? Well, that really came from Spy Monkey when we did um, uh, Cirque du Soleil Zoomanity and we were doing 10 shows a week for two years and we needed something to keep us fresh. So we would be extremely naughty uh, backstage and then extremely naughty on stage, but no one would know the little games that we were playing that would make us laugh. I'm not going to tell you all of them because some of them are really, really rude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we were very, very free and um, we've sort of taken those games like, you know, I'll say to Eli, OK, tonight I'm going to be a pig. Uh, well, no, I won't say I'm going to be an animal and you have to guess. And at one point when I laugh, for example, I might put a little snort in my laugh. Not that anyone else would know, but then that would make Eli laugh because there's a game inside the game. And then it gives a fizzle and a sparkle to the show because, you know, we're 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 playing that's the essence of of clown is play and if you're repeating and repeating repeating it can get you know you don't want to get stale you always want to make it come across like this is the first time you're staying it you know who's a master of that is frodo frodo does the same act um you know frodo the frodo santini yeah uh frodo yes in in opium so for so for for those of you listening We've mentioned Frodo before. He is double jointed. Um, he has an act where he puts himself through um, two tennis rackets with that that are unstringed. And I have brought this act up, uh, Petra, multiple times. Right. Because the first time I saw it, I be- like I felt very foolish because I'd already been doing clown for like ten years. I thought he was messing up. This is how good right. he is. Yeah. I was like, oh, this guy's having a bad night. And then I stayed for show two of Opium, and he hit every mark exactly. And I was like, this guy's a master. Like this guy is a master at everything feels so fresh and so real every single time. What do you what do you think is sort of his methodology? I think it's owning it, owning that material. It comes from him. I have no doubt in my mind he wrote it. Um, and in part, you know, I we had a writer in our show, and obviously Cal McChrystal directed it, but you know, that clown is me. So when those words come out of my mouth, they're, they're mine. They, I own those words. And in the same way Frodo does as well. And I think there's such uh, an interesting fine line between saying it naturally and making it scripted. And that's what you have to find is, and also the ability where you're not presenting it all the time. It's, it's not, um, you know, sometimes you can t- deliver a line and actually do it more for yourself. Like there's a little little line that I say when um, the um, when the technician throws a hula hoop on me and I say it really under my breath and she's supposed to have like given it to me at the other side of the stage. And I just to myself, I say, stupid bitch. And it gets a huge laugh because it's not really meant for the audience, but it's very natural. And it feels like this happened for the first time. And I think that's what Frodo has in his act. It's not all presented. He says it to himself, but the audience are conjoined with him. Um, and, you know, his cadence and how he expresses yeah. himself is is so key to all of that thing. And repeating it, repeating it, repeating it. After a while, you just know what I would say the bankers are when you know you're going to get a laugh because you're going to deliver it in in some way. Saying that... My mind will also play tricks on me and go, all right, Petra, you're going to say this line. Are you going to get a laugh now? 
And so my mind will start running ahead of itself. And then nine times out of 10, I don't, don't, don't get a laugh because I'm thinking about it and my mind's playing tricks with me. So you've got to be aware of that little evil thing that some, can sometimes come up when you're performing over and over again uh, and keeping it fresh. And it doesn't always, we have this expression in, in, um, in Spy Monkey where we say made in Hong Kong or Hong Kong pleasure. So it's fabricated, but no one else would know except you, where you, you sometimes you have to go on autopilot because, you know, doing the nature of doing 10 shows a week is exhausting. Um, but there's a way you can go on autopilot without anyone else knowing. And I always get surprised when I, the other day I had a friend of mine come in and I was on autopilot and she was just saying, it's the best show I've ever seen. It's the funniest show I've ever seen. And I just thought, wow, okay. I wasn't making, <laughs> you know, a hundred percent effort. I was, you know, probably on 80% that night. So, yeah. It is fascinating. And, you know, in LA, we have this, this other, like, in LA, we're walking this different line, which is why I'm, again, we will talk offline because I really want you to come here and teach because a lot of the stuff we're experimenting with are these sort of improvised clown formats. You know, um, Jim and I work on Clown Zoo uh, and Clown Zoo After Dark. And the whole point is like kind of taking the energy from rehearsal and devising, putting it on stage and bullshitting your way through like this is a completed show like you're like this is done and like sort of so all these natural mistakes and games present themselves but also we're all most of us are out there also trying to really fix these pieces and like you know i go out and do a ton of of solo work and i'm trying to sort of like as you're saying like you find it and you leave room for yourself but you know where the laughs are you know exactly where you're going and they present very different challenges. Have Have you ever had a point um, in your career? Has it always been a process of devising and then presenting? I mean, I know you've done so many uh, clown plays, but have you ever kind of played with just going up and improvising? I mean, I saw you do some stuff at Piggy Time yes. um, with a new character, um, yeah. but is that how you would normally build characters? Would you go up in front of audiences and just try stuff and see what happens? Well, we do this thing in a Spy Monkey rehearsal, and I've worked both in devising and I've also worked at, at the Globe. Um, you know, we did, um, what show did we do? Oh, God, uh, oh, God, it's just escaped my mind. One of the comedies. Um, so I've worked with a lot of script as well, but one of the things with Spy Monkey, um, I've just lost my train of thought completely. We were talking about like this process of finding things in front of yes, us. Is that in a rehearsal and you know, when we, we usually give ourselves six weeks to put on a show, sometimes less, sometimes a bit more, but usually generally it's around six weeks. And I would say in around week three or four, we will bring in an invited audience, a bit like it was for Piggy Time, uh, to basically throw out what we're working on and then get feedback from people. We'd do a, like a Q&A afterwards. Or we would go even one step further and we would do an invited audience in the theatre that we're going to perform in and have a much more, not you know, much wider, diverse group of people. And we would throw the show together for the first time uh, in front of an audience and again do a Q&A and get feedback and understand the energy of the show where things need picking up what's working hearing the laughter um, and that's that can be quite scary um, because you know you're on the hoof 
but it's also really, really, really informs the work. And actually, because you just have to do it, it kind of um, expediates the devising process. Um, and and you, you're on such a heightened uh, energy level that, you know, a lot of the material that you don't think works actually does work because you're at performance level. Doing at rehearsal level is very, very different to performing level like you know doctor theater kicks in and you know and also playing the flops you know learning to play the flops so that that what i did with this mother teresa character which is a character that i've done in the past but she's always been silent and so i wanted to give her a voice for good or for bad uh <laughs> the work in progress i think the first two minutes worked really really well and then it needed a gear change it didn't completely bomb, but there were moments where I it was it was really interesting for me to gauge whether it was too hardcore because um, the, the material of Mother Teresa, I'm basically playing a nun and there's a very dark side to Mother Teresa that I want to bring out. And sometimes I felt like it was too edgy, um, like and and she wasn't lovable enough. You don't, nothing is too edgy if if the character is loved and she wasn't understood completely and in five minutes it's quite difficult to warm an audience up so um but yeah i that that i've done stand up before but i've usually done it as me i've never done it sort of character stand up so it's a new a bit of a new thing that i'm exploring at the moment uh new in the way that it's not part of a bigger show it's it's right. for the purposes of of getting like four character comedy characters together and then stringing them together for a, what I'm calling a sholo. Oh, a sholo instead of a, a solo. Show, a sholo. Yeah. A sholo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's like, it's, I mean, because what's happening out here is, and uh, we're really opening up that process. And I think sometimes it's to great benefit. Like we'll just have people come up and they're like, I have 12 ideas. I'm going to invite friends. And I just want to try them in front of people immediately to see what happens. And I do think, like you said, sometimes that can expedite the process and also put you in the mode of really trying to make it work. But also on this other side, I do feel that more experienced clowns can be spending more time, like making things worth breaking. Do you know what right. I mean by that? Like really yeah. working on something. So because what ends up happening out here often is because the audience is brought into the process so early. This is just my opinion mm. that it's all flops, right? It's all flops. It's like the whole show becomes failures and, and it's like, yeah, but if you built something really good and then failed at that or succeeded at that, the stakes just feel higher. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm dealing with it now, you know, with a couple of bits that I'm working on, that like I've added like dance numbers and things that I can work on by myself and really try to get right. And if I get them wrong and that produces a laugh, that's great. But a lot, I think, and I, and I say this, like just talking earnestly, you know, a bunch of people from our community, specifically people from the idiot workshop, like Eli Weinberg that you're working with right now, Grace Lusk over at OPM, mm -hmm. um, Alec, who's at uh, Absinthe, the thing that they had in common I think and the reason that they are working with the best people in Vegas is because they want to get it right. And they're also skilled and will build things worth watching. And I think other people who succeeded in LA have succeeded 
based on the fact they can get nothing right. And like, and there's a charm in that for clowns, you know, we do like those clowns, but if you're doing a show 10 times a week for people who are sunburned, half drunk, have lost most of their money, like you better be out there to get it right. Or I think they delete you alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I hear you. I think, you know, the difference I mean, I am a clown in this show, but I'm, I am what I would call, you know, with Spy Monkey, I'm rough around the edges, you know. Uh, with this show, it, it has to be more polished just because of the nature of it and the rep- repetition where you just know all the beats and all the things. So I would say that any clown, even if they're used to getting it wrong, night after night could still be in a show like this, but it's whether they want to or not. I mean, there are some clowns that just for them, it's like a a death just having to repeat over and over again. But other clowns, uh, that is the work. And, you know, by repeating and repeating and repeating and you can find, and we're always changing bits of the show. It's never, it's never the same show because it's an always a different audience as well. Um, so you have to approach it differently. Um, and you can tell, you can, I can even tell when Colin as blue goes out there first and how they say, howdy, I can tell right from the beginning of what that crowd is going to be like just from hearing them. And you get to be a bit of a connoisseur of, of crowd, um, crowd work really, and how to go in, where to go in more gently, where to go in more hard, where you can be more rude, where you can pull back a little bit. So um, I would say anybody could do the level, you know, with experience, obviously, but if they were, they were a clown that was always good. Every clown should be getting something wrong. Uh, you know, that, that's the nature of it. Even the straight clown, you know, Toby is our straight clown in Spy Monkey, but he constantly screws up in a very high status way, you know? So I just think that is the nature of clown's work is to fail. I think though you, you nailed it for me in the sense of like, but what do they want? Like, this is something as a teacher too, that like, I, I won't say I struggle with it, but like it, sometimes you find the clowns very early on. And I teach mostly, I like to teach intro class. I like to bring people in. And my belief is too, that like classes are great, but at the end of the day, the people who really want it and need it, they'll go out and play. They'll go do shows. And like, like you can't just stay in class too long and think that that's going to build – because a class is not an audience. Mm-hmm. You know, a class is your yeah. friends. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like there's this moment I think a lot with students where I feel like I don't know necessarily – and it's like every student's different, but like you can just sense that they definitely want the laugh. They definitely want the validation, but do they want the relationship? Like, the relationship do they want- with, the, with the audience? Yes. The, right, yes. Well, I mean, that's who you're performing to. Without the relationship, you're fucked, you know? Yeah. And also, um, when they want, I mean, that that's um, a little bit the dilemma is, you know, a clown is supposed to make people laugh. But if you're trying too hard, then we sense that. And, you know, Aitor always says, Aitor Basari from Spy Monkey, he always says, if you can't be funny, be beautiful. Um, so, uh, and which is really doing the best possible job that you can. And 
if you're trying to be funny and you're not getting the laughs, back away. Just back away. Because then you know that you are then sort of building an, a relationship with the audience because you have gone, right, I'm coming out to be funny, but I'm not being funny. I need to leave. And then the audience will laugh because then there's a recognition between audience and performer and a relationship being built that is which is of understanding. And then the audience, nine times out of 10, and I was doing this exercise when they were coming out, people were coming out and trying to be funny. And I was saying, that's the exit, go. And then they would get a laugh. And I said, if you get a laugh, then you can come back on stage. But gently and with sensitivity. But I guess that that opens up a bigger question. Like, can you teach a clown to do something on stage that they are not doing in their life? Huh. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because we all have friends like that where we're like, we feel like there's a one-sidedness or like they need something from us, but they don't necessarily value us individually giving it to them. Like, can you teach someone to perform something that isn't true to their nature? Um, yes, because that's acting. But then you cross over the line of acting, don't you? You hope. You hope they do. Yeah. But I was also say, you know, and again, we say this in every workshop, this is a clown masterclass. This is not therapy. I yeah. know it blurs the line a lot, but we we never we we we're not we are interested in the person, of course we are, but what they do in their own lives is got nothing to do with the work that we're teaching in this room. And when you start layering the therapy side onto it, and you know, that then it can sort of get a bit complicated and personal. So we always try and make sure that the work is the work. And if they can't attain that particular thing that they want to be doing, well, today's today, you know, tomorrow's another day. And it's all about experience. I mean, people say the older you get, the more funny you get because you don't, you care less. Yeah. So, um, you know, don't give up. It's like, you know, I'm doing something that I never expected to, to, to be, to be doing, um, and still going at the age that I'm at. So, uh, but that's, you know, the love of performing for me anyway, is so paramount to sort of everything that I'm, I just want to keep going for as long as it, it feels right and real for me, really. I mean, you like, it's funny because Jim's older than me, but he doesn't really inspire me as a performer, but you Rude. on the other, <laughs> see, you have a fan, Jim, see, you have a fan here. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Um, I've really been enjoying this a lot. It's, it's really nice to hear Chad be quiet for once. So please. <laughs> well, keep talking, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me. You're, you're, everyone thinks that's what they want. Everyone right. thinks that would, then it got, keeps going. No, um, but I was going to say you like actually have like specifically inspired me because like your just commitment to fitness. This is something too that like I feel like can be a delicate matter because clowns come in all shapes and sizes and that's mm -hmm. what we want. And we want them to represent the full spectrum of humanity. But, you know, if the better shape you're in, I'm not talking about your physical look. I'm talking yeah. about just the amount of oxygen you need to keep moving. The amount of the amount of time you can stay squatted down to the ground. Like it just opens up possibities to fail differently. 
or try things that are even more difficult. So that failure feels more profound. And when I was working with you, we worked, um, for those listening, we worked on this video series for Spiegel World called Vegas Hit Show, which kind of looks like Vegas shit show when spelt out. <laughs> and uh, Petra was the host, also came up with all these amazing puns. I was trying to look for some before they uh, just to read out some of these real bangers that you put together for uh, audience title, Chad. episode titles. Daddy Chad. <laughs> Daddy Chad. Um, but you were, I mean, I remember all even through the pandemic you were doing some wild like ballet inspired workout for like an hour a day even when you weren't performing like something that, that would be grueling at any age and i was like oh that's like if you want to be out there and you want to be the best version of yourself you need to find the way to literally be the best version of yourself you know um how much of that has been true in your life or how much of that has been true because now you're in a show that runs as much as 10 times a week? Um, well, I've always been very athletic. I was very sporty as a kid. I was like, I loved running. I was um, like a hundred meter sprinter and 200 meter. I was in all the races and, uh, and, and I was just extremely sporty. So that physical fitness is inbuilt in me. Um, and uh, you know, I was always really into dance and I would always be the last one dancing at the party flat out, usually to a wall or right close up to a speaker. Um, I was the one at the party who would be the drunkest, but would decide to run up a mountain at the end of like five o'clock in the morning. There was just something I had a fire and I still do to a certain extent, like a fire burning where I just have this massive amount of energy that I have to unleash. And that helps with performing because it is exhausting and I'm happiest when I'm performing. And I think it's because I can, and all of my, all of my roles, I said, I would say have all been extremely physical. Like I can't not be physical. I, Julie Richardson, actually, who was the resident director at Atomic for a while said, you know, you're one of the people that you can only learn the script through getting it into your body. That's how I a bit like a dancer, like, I I can only get it when it's and and it makes sense to me when I've got the actions and the body the the umph behind the body so I, that's just how I am. Um, whereas you know, Itor, who is classic, um, brilliantly funny guy, he says he says I am not fat but I look fat. So he's quite a rotund, hairy, very funny man, and he's actually really fit but his tummy sticks out and he pushes it out as well and he's a massive surfer and um you know he is actually genuinely really strong but he's quite um I don't know I don't think lazy is the right word but you know he'd rather sit and have a drink of wine and eat a Spanish tortilla whereas I would go and you know run a marathon or something you know, um, one of the things I love about Itor too is um, he's got like the best posture, but almost to the point of absurdity. Like he always like looks like he's been like his his back is so straight. Yes, that it always looks like he's startled. I mean, it, and it like it just makes you laugh the minute you see him. Like yeah. he's always because that's what we want. We want someone who's like surprised to see us. But yeah, I remember 
I actually, when I first saw him, which was years ago, I was, I thought I had scared him. He was sitting with John Gilkey at the Lyric Hyperion. And I was like, Hey John. And he turned and, and I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And he's looking at me like, what's wrong. And it was just like, that's just his posture yeah. because he looked so upright and like, yeah, like anyone who's taken him a uh, class with him or knows him, if you ask him to walk around like I tour, he is one of those individuals that is so distinct that, you, and I think that's always a good sign. If someone can do an impression of you, you're doing something right. You are like individually interesting. Yes. He, um, He's one of the few people, there's some, some people that can just come on stage and do nothing and, and people will laugh at him. It's really enjoyable to laugh at Itor. And he is, um, because he's actually an extremely academic, extremely intelligent. He studied philosophy. Uh, he's really, really bright, but because of how he looks. Uh, and he says this as well, is that, you know, people even though he's a co-founder and co-director of Spy Monkey, people will always revert to Toby, who is the good-looking but boring one, right. because um, he doesn't look stupid, whereas Itor and me and Stefan, we just look a bit stupid. And our, our how we are on stage, we're always the idiots. And when I say stupid and idiot, that's the highest accolade that you could get in, in clown work. You know, if you're being yeah. told that you're an idiot... Uh, that is the best compliment that you could get. Um, I forget that sometimes. And, you know, I'll, in an effort to, like in an intro class, I'll be like, oh, you're the dumbest clown here. And I'm like, good for you. I'm like, boy, what, a, like, you're going to get everything wrong and you're really trying. And like, sometimes I have to have that moment of like, oh, wait, 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 like, let me go through all yeah. the compliments that are insults in normal life that will be like my greatest praise in this uh, two hour, this two day intensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was curious in terms of like, so, so with students, do you feel like when you're working with students that there is like general lessons that have to happen from the start or can you, I, cause don't you feel that clowns succeed differently? And it's pretty like if you've been doing this for a while, I feel like when I go into a class, even when we just do the hour of introductions and people meeting and playing small games, I kind of understand what clowns they are. Mm -hmm. And then it's sort of the challenge of like, yes, there's like basic fundamentals that are true for all of us, but all of you are going to have different ways that you succeed with an audience. Are you concerned with, identifying those specific things early on or are you more concerned with the connection just the very basic things that they need to know to move to the next step yeah i i would say we always play this game called mr hit and i did that with these students when i i played at the clown jam and it's a really really good way of stripping them of any airs and graces or premeditated ideas or what they think clown is because I'm giving them like three things that they've got to think about all at the same time. And the game is quite hard and it's all about being uh, playing it as well as you possibly can, but not necessarily getting it right. And just that game and that, that game, we, we spy monkey still play that game and we play it with every rehearsal and sometimes before shows because 
it gets you it gets you back to basics and it's it's very confusing this game and we want to see clowns in a state of confusion because then they're not trying and we can see the purity of their clown we can see i can see within this game of mr hit if i play it for half an hour i can see okay who's the high status person within this group uh who's the one that's trying to get it right and getting really frustrated and and just trying too hard, which in itself is funny. Who's the person that is just really bad at this game and doesn't care? Um, who's the sort of shy person? Who's the extrovert person? Um, who takes direction really well? It gives you, it, it, it informs you on so many levels, this game. Um, and it's really good fun and it's play. Uh, and um, it's basically spy monkey fodder. And I would say we we got this from Philippe Gaulier, who's like, you know, clown guru in Paris. And that that comes very much from his uh, toolbox of games um, to, yeah, uh, put clowns in a position where they're not thinking too much about it. They're just doing and physical. Are you like, so if you play a game like Mr. Hit or you let's just say you have two days with some clowns, you have mm -hmm. two days to work with them. Is there a moment where you kind of tell them what, like what you believe the type of clown they are? Do you feel like that's something that isn't your responsibility to do? Uh, like, I will give hints, but I would never do that. And I tell you why it's because they've got to find their journey and that clown, you know, a clown is very sensitive as well. And, you know, on one particular day, we've sound, found something and then I'll get them to repeat it and it doesn't work. So I don't want to, I would never want to pigeon someone. And as you grow, you change as well. But I I could give them, I could let them know like where I see them status wise within the group. Or if I was to pick 10 people and I would put them where they, I think they are in the status within a group, I would say, um, because that's kind of quite clear and quite useful for people to know. Um, I, I could say to them what, what, I mean, you know, what you're listening to, listen to the laughter. When are people finding you funny? And I would ask them questions for them to say to me, but rather than I wouldn't put my stamp on it. I, yeah, it's I, tempting too. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I co probably could, but I choose not to, because I think it's very good for every individual to find their own journey. And I don't want to. I don't want to help them too much. You know, I want them to um, experience the flop. And, you know, I, I will cradle that so it's not too painful. But, you know, you've got no pain, no gain if you don't feel what it's like. But at the end of the day, and this is an awful expression, but, you know, um, if you don't make people, make people laugh, it's not genocide. You know, it's really no. not. It's you're going to be all right. You're going to be fine. It, it's a bit painful, but you dust yourself off. And we're all in this together. So, um, you know, and I'm still dying on my ass. You know, when I did this Mother Teresa for the first time at the Majestic Theatre, I, you know, there was a lot of people that go, oh, look, Petra's doing something. And then they were like, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> and that was painful, but it's it's how it is. And that's where you learn. And I, I always start at zero. I never go in thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to have a big success in this. And if I, I think, do, then if the success comes, it's amazing. I think too, you know, two things. One, I think one of the best parts of being a clown is like when you put stuff up and it fails and your friends are there that are clowns, mm -hmm. it's just a cause for celebration. Like, yes. 
And then, so you get to laugh because your friends have been amused by this, you know, this, by the way, a poor showing almost always means a huge valuable lesson. Like, like you just realize things about the pieces. So it's so important, but then also the fact that your friends get to really enjoy it. They get to enjoy watching you flop is like one of the best parts. I don't know if that's true in standup. I don't, I haven't done it enough. Um, I know it's not true in improv. <laughs> like I know in like traditional improv, it's just a lot of sadness. Um, I was going to tell you, this is my method in terms of, cause I a hundred percent agree with you. You don't want to have anyone tell you who you are yeah. like as a clown. But what I like to do is I do this thing when we do class shows and even in the stand up and clown where I rate the duos mm-hmm. from the best to the worst. Mm-hmm. And so what I what I what I hope to accomplish with this, and I don't tell the clowns this, if I put you at the top, it's because I think you play high status. Right. I think you're going to benefit the most from being presented as capable. That flop will be the best for you. And if I present you as the worst, you are the most lovable. Mm-hmm. You are the simplest. And then maybe with my teasing, because like I'll, I I play a diff like the character I play, I just roast them. I I'm a pure villain. Right. That the audience likes, but I'm really trying to get the audience on their side very early. So I'll say something like to a clown that is more like a baby clown or an infant clown. I'll be like, you have nothing but bad ideas. And like, and, and so I hope that maybe they feel the audience laugh yeah. at this, but, but again, like, I, I, I don't know if this is your experience after a class, I will often get at least three or four emails from students who want more notes and right. I know ne- I never do it. Right. And I tell them what I go, listen, you want me to tell you what this all should look like. Right. And like now it's your job to go out and have audiences tell you. Do you mm-hmm. copy paste it? Jim, actually, now that you say that, I should probably do that. <laughs> that would save me so much time. I think I write it out every time. Um, but but I love the clown that's like. Be, destroy me. Be, I'm like, listen, that that's, you know, that's for your parents. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, I mean, as a teacher, you know, you're, you're the provoker, you're, you're, you're provoking something out of people. And for example, when I did the um, clown jam recently, and I said, I said to one guy, that was a bad idea. And he came over and told me off. And he said, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't because that that slates my confidence and it wasn't a bad idea and I did get laughs. But I said, you know, a bad idea is a is com is gold for a clown. <laughs> you know, that that's that and it's it's almost like reverse language, you know, idiot, stupid, bad ideas, you know, because we're taught to be a, a success and in, in your life and always be the best and always be the and the clown is like the opposite to all of that. So People, you know, I forget sometimes because I'm so into that world and if people don't know that, then it can be uh, it can be quite insulting. And I hope that uh, this guy will come back and, and do more so he understands more about the language. But, you know, you can't please everybody. As a teacher, you can't please everybody. And, and it's not like, meant for everybody either. Like, no, no. Yeah. And I think... I think feedback is good. Like we'll always do what we call Q&A, question and answer sessions, um, you know, a lot about the work. You know, I'll sit in the circle at the end so people can talk about the work so they can understand it because some people want to understand it more on an academic level, uh, on an educational level, and some people just like doing it. I'm a person that prefers to do it. I don't like to analyse it too much because I think it takes the magic away. 
Um, Chad, just so you know, I've got another meeting at 2.15, only because I thought this was going to be half an hour, but I just didn't want to cut it short. No, no, no. And and we are we are close to wrapping. So we're okay. we are within you'll have a but I appreciate that. I appreciate you telling me. Um, no, I just didn't want to cut things short or anything. That was all. You know when to make an exit. I mean, I'm enjoying it. You're you're you you live what you teach. You're like, I don't want to overstay. I want this yeah. audience to love me. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this was uh, the last thing I kind of actually wanted to discuss with you, which is uh, sexuality and clown. Yeah, which is something that. Obviously, in Vegas is very much a part of things, and in LA has become like an identifier. Like, not all clowns, but like a lot of the stuff we do with, say, at the Elysian or the Art Theater. Um, what is like when you're doing stuff that is body or naughty or, or playing around? Is there any sort of framework that you look at it through? Uh, you know, in terms of like what's what's I don't want to say good or bad, but like what do you think is effective? when it's like presenting nudity or sexuality and, and where do you think that maybe it, it crosses a line where it's no longer effective? Well, it's funny you ask this because spy monkey are known for getting their kit off. Basically. We love <laughs> to get our bodies off, but our bodies out, but you know, it was with huge discussion between the four of us and Cal McChrystal because Cal would, before every show, Cal would always say, what's the thing you've always wanted to do on stage? You know, be it pole dancing, be it riding a roller bowler, be it, you know, hula hooping. And I think, I can't remember who one of us said, I've always wanted to get naked on stage. And we tried it in a rehearsal once and Cal just said it's not funny because it's just so powerful. It's like, where do you go from being naked? That's like the most raw, vulnerable place where you can get to. But we did it very strategically uh, in the show Coops and in, in many, many shows, um, but where it, um, we had earned the right within this show to get naked. I think that that was a lot of it, is earning the right to take your clothes off because otherwise it could be, it can totally backfire on you and be awful. And we've been in those situations as well where, we hadn't earned the right to get naked. We did, a, in fact, we did a dinner theatre show in Palazzo, and it was right when the puddings were being served that we got all our clothes off, and you <laughs> could have heard a pin drop. It, I remember hiding behind this guy who was playing the double bass because it was the biggest instrument that was there, um, and I just hid. And it was so excruciatingly embarrassing. There's nothing more liberating than getting naked and people laughing like to the point where they're choking with laughter. And nothing more humiliating where people are looking down into their pudding bowls going, I can't look at this person. This is just awful. Um, so, and I think as well, Toby wasn't allowed to get naked because he didn't have a funny body. Whereas <laughs> me, Aitor and Stefan all had funny bodies and also not very sexualized bodies, I suppose. We're all kind of quite, um, I think also because we're all very at home within our bodies. So, um, you know, there's no uh, embarrassment there or, you know, awkwardness or anything like that. Um, but when I go on stage, I always think that everyone wants to shag me. I always think that uh, I am the cock of the walk and that everyone is in love with me. Um, that That is my party self. You know, it's one of the things that Cal used to always say is your clown is the person 
who's at the in their best form, glittering form at a party when they're making everybody laugh, everybody wants to be around them. You know, it's your best self at a party. Um, and your clown is also the thing that people laugh about you behind your back, which is your vulnerability. So, That's so true, yeah. Yeah. For me, I, I like to come across as extremely intelligent, but I'm actually really thick because I don't um, – I don't, uh, I, I'm not a sponge. I'm the opposite. I'm an unsponge. I just, I'm like a goldfish. I can go round and round and round in a bowl and not remember. Like they used to call me Dory from, is it, what's it called? Nemo, not Captain Nemo. Oh, I don't know, that fishy. Finding Nemo. Finding That's Nemo. it. You see how thick I am? Um, so, uh, yes. And then that, and I celebrate my ineptitude to be able to get anything right on a, on an intellectual basis because I just don't listen. I'm really bad at listening. <laughs> um, and because I'm away with the fairies half the time, like Dory in this bowl, I just. Even in this question, answering this question, you have drifted into a completely different question. I, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> I, I, I'll say this and then we're going to, we're going to ask you. So while I answer this, you can think, cause I'm about to ask you this very important question. Yes. What is clown? And then we will have a minute with Jim, by the way. Jim, I don't know if you've noticed, he's been listening intently, and he's going to um, recap in a minute all the wisdom we have imparted for the layperson, like just in case we've been too academic, you know. But I would say, and I've said this before on podcasts, if I'm doing sexual stuff or naughty stuff, and it's ridiculous, like that, like it's almost the way a child sees sex Mm -hmm. without an understanding of it. Yeah. Or if I'm incredibly low status, like I have this bit where I have a fake penis trapped in a bear trap called Dick in a Bear Trap, and my butt is fully exposed. Sometimes my butthole you can see because I'm wow. bent over wow. and it, I'm covered in blood and I'm like, oh, I can't get more low status than that. Like, so despite there being a nudity element, I am presenting a character who is not menacing. Like there's nothing powerful about this character. The nudity is like joyful and silly. Um but it is As like buttholes can be. Yes. I'm told I've got a nice one. I'm told I've got like a bullet hole, which oh. like, and what I mean by that is there's like no discoloration. It just looks like yes. there's just, which, you know, Hey, look, Once you're born again, with your gifts. Backfires yeah. in my face. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that backfires. Uh, <laughs> did you mean that joke, Jim? That's gross. Um, all right. We've reached that point now. Yes. Uh, Petra, where our careers are in your hands. Um, mm. I'm going to ask you a question. If you answer it perfectly, uh, we will end this podcast. Petra Massey, what is clown? Clown is celebrating your ridiculousness whilst also uh, your supreme pleasure to be on stage. Being able to uh show your vulnerability and your humanity. Oh, Jim, that's the best answer we've ever gotten. And oh, and nice. the funniest thing about you is you. The only reason, by the way, that is a 99.9. We, we really should have cut her off, I think, halfway through. I almost <laughs> did. Really, she did so well. I expected okay. after all that Dory bullshit, she was going to eat rocks on this. I thought she'd lose her train of thought. <laughs> well, I have now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was really so close. But I'm going to say only, close, be- I would say only because 
I know you're not the academic member of Spy Monkey. No. And that you are self-admitted as a person who cannot keep a narrative thread going. Mm-hmm. That I have to at least point one question your answer. Okay. So thank you for your attempt, but um, we are going to keep going with the podcast. I'm so pleased. <laughs> and now I yield the floor for a minute with Jim. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. This has been an amazing episode. I really love the interesting discussion of status. I once again am reminded to use that time pressure to push forward in one's performance and rehearsal levels. I love the quote. Uh, I think it was Ayatori you quoted, if you can't be funny, be beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's something I do all the time, yeah. as Chad will attest. Say that, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, and also I'm very relieved to hear the older you get, the funnier you are. I love that quote that I'm going to take that one to the bank. Um, I'm looking forward to maybe someday finding out how to play Mr. Hit. And, oh, I, I love this idea of listening to the audience and trying to identify any kind of a pattern of when they're laughing. I added the pattern part, but when are they laughing? That That's something I hadn't thought of. Yeah. Um, just... A note for anybody listening, Chad gave away his secret of how he rates his team's kids. So now we all know that. And um, I love that idea of what's the thing you've always wanted to do on stage, as well as your discussion of earning the right to get naked, which is something that Chad never does. Um, oh, and then top of my list. I, I It was top of my list, but so, so high on my list that I put it at the bottom. Um but separated the idea of creating a secret game to keep it fresh. Chad, I, I am saying like we, I show me how we can do that. That could be a lot of fun. How about our secret game be that you get the music right during the shows? That would be fun. Wow. That's and my that, uh, uh, minute of Jim. Thanks everyone. Well, thank you very much, Jim. And uh, thank you, Petra. That uh, concludes this edition of stand up and clown the podcast. Once again, don't forget to check out the live show. Um, I don't know when this is dropping, but our next one is February 27th, and then we're taking a break until April. You can find out more about Petra Massey in the episode notes. We're going to put a link to Atomic Saloon. I cannot recommend this show enough. It is delightful. It is fun. And Petra puts on a tour de force performance uh, every time she's on stage. Um, Until we speak again, my friends, this has been Chad Demiani. Keep on clowning.